You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I used to work for the largest emergency psychiatric room in all of L.A. County. In the early 80s, I worked for almost four years, and I had the midnight shift. My shift started at 11 p.m., and I would be up by 7 a.m. the next morning. And weekends were the most busiest ones. Now, I was a non-entity. I was just a patient-admitting worker, meaning they, I admitted the patient, and my job was to extract the insurance company. If the patient did not have insurance, I have to make sure that I will introduce that individual to medical. The hospital needed to get financial resources, so it was my job to interview the patient they had been admitted meaning if they were admitted between 8 and, the, and p.m., 9, 10, and 11, it will be my job and my co-worker's job to make sure that all those patients that were admitted before 11 o'clock, those that were admitted from 11 to 7, it was the opportunity and the job of the morning shift. So my job was to go individually and speak to all the patients. I would have to be clear first by the psychiatrists and all the medical personnel because we didn't know the level of stress. Now, I'm not a professional, but I was a Christian. I don't have to be a psychiatrist to understand pain. I don't need to be a specialist in mental hygiene to know what stress is. I don't need to be a professional to know when people are going through psychosis induced by alcohol or drugs. And what I used to see in that hospital, in my four years experience, I saw two types of patients. The second patient really troubled me a lot because I saw myself in those patients. You see, there were those who sadly, lamentably, do have organic mental disorders, meaning there's, in the brain chemistry, there's an imbalance. Just like if you have diabetes, high blood pressure, uh, there are so many ills and ailments and infirmities. Mental hygiene is no different from the others. And we have organic disorders that, that we need psychiatric balance and thank God for those, those, that kind of medication. But I used to see another kind of person who was not suffering from psychiatric disorders or organic natural disorders. Some of these people that were going through pain, they were going through trauma. Something happened to them that caused them to lose it for a moment. 
It's called a lapse, a momentary psychic disorder. Some people say, I went off. I just had a mental breakdown. You ever heard that? I'm so glad the Bible speaks about that. See, we're going to be looking at 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to meet a wonderful man by the name of Elijah. Elijah was a fearless man. He was bold. He was dauntless. He was the rebuker of kings. He was a mighty intercessor. He was praying with faith and intensity. In the New Testament, James speaks about, about the nature of Elijah. James says this, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain on the land for three years and six months. But if this is a prophet who is divinely honored, a performer of miracles, he comes out of nowhere. Boom, the, the Bible just spits him out in, second, uh, in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. We don't know where he comes from. He just appears in the land at an appropriate time. When Ahab, the king Ahab, one of notorious, horrible leaders, we are told this about Ahab, 1 Kings 21, 25. There was, one, there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. So there you have the king and the queen. Both of them are horrific monsters against morality, against God and the people of God. Jezebel is notorious for her evilness and her dark, dark, wicked heart. She massacred prophets. She worshiped Baal. Her name Jezebel means Baal exalts. So she was anti-God. But Elijah comes in. Elijah comes in and he's powerful. In chapter 17, we'll, 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 we'll just kind of gloss over a little bit because it's a lot. But Elijah, the Bible says that the word of the Lord came to him. There in chapter 17 of 1 Kings, then the word of the Lord came to him. And the first time the word of the Lord came to him, he told him, get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Kareth, which flows into the Jordan River. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded you that the ravens were going to feed you there. So Elijah went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook. So we see that the prophet becomes hor not horribly, that's a wrong word, committed faithfully to the word of God, and he's obedient. So I go to the brook. God's going to say he's going to feed me through birds, so I'll do that. And guess what? He was fed by the birds, ravens. And then he is told to go to Seraphoth, the city by, by Sidon, in verse 9. The word of the Lord came again. In verse 8, the word of the Lord came again. And so that's the second time. Now he says, I want you to go to Seraphoth. Now imagine there's a famine in the land. And he says, I want you to go to this widow and, 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 and just hit her up for some, some, some bread, literally bread. 
And when he goes to the widow, the widow says to her, as, as the Lord lives, I do not have bread. I only have a handful of flour in a bit and a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare for myself and my son that we may eat and die. That was our last meal. <laughs> Desperation time. But Elijah said, uh, do not fear, but I want you to go and do as I have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me, and afterwards make some for yourself and your son. Man, if I was a widow, I'd say, excuse me? <laughs> I only have a little bit for my son. After we eat our last meal, we're going to die. And you're telling me that we got to give you something and then left over for me and my son? You're crazy. For thus says the Lord God, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and her, he and her household ate for many days. Verse 16 of chapter 17 of 1 Kings says, the bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. yippee yay yay Whoa, we never run out. As long as I have this man in my house, I never run out. Every day I go in there and the bin is full of flour. I have oil. Lord, have mercy. But then tragedy struck. Her son was killed. And things turn around. But the Bible says that that upon hearing that the boy died, the prophet Elijah stretched himself on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O oh Lord my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived him. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother, and Elijah said, See, your son lives. Verse 24 of chapter 17. Then the woman said to Elijah, Aha! Now by this I know that you are men of God and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth and it is truth. So that's two events. What's fed by the ravens, what's fed by the widow, and now the Lord speaks to him the third time. This time is going to be a rough time because he is about, he's about to be told in chapter 18, verse 1, that the Lord came again to him a third time. <laughs> and now he has to go, and I can hear that, that song. And many came to pass, verse, eight, verse 1 of chapter 18. After many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah, in the third year, go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. That's the assignment. That's the commission. I want you to go Ahab, period. And once you go, you present yourself to Ahab, I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. And there was a severe famine in Samaria. And Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. That is the servant. 
Now we are told in parenthesis in verse 3 that Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. What a change. That the servant that feared God was under the authority of, of, of a monstrosity of a couple. Wicked. And yet he feared the Lord. All this to say to you is that as he confronts Ahab, he confronts him for his sin. Verse 12 says, And it came to pass, as soon as I am gone from you, that the Spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. Ah, forgive me. I said that wrong. Elijah wants to set up a meeting by way of Obadiah. And Obadiah responds by saying to Elijah, You're trying to kill me, man. He says, you want an appointment with Ahab, but if I go tell Ahab, because people are looking for you, man. They want to kill you. If I go and tell the king and the spirit takes you someplace else, at the end of verse 12, but your servant has feared the Lord from my youth. And so he picks it up. We pick it up in verse 18. He answered, forgive me, verse 17. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O trouble of Israel? Elijah answered, unequivocally, not quivering, not shaking, this man was resolute. This man was infallible. He was bold, fearless, and dauntless. He said in response to him, he says, I have not troubled Israel, but you, Ahab, you and your father's house, have in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now therefore, <clears throat> send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So we have this event in, in Mount Carmel. From verse 20, chapter 18, all the way to the end, I'll tell you the story. The narrative is the priests and the prophets of Baal and the other prophets of Asherah, they build an altar. And Elijah says, well, wait. Call upon your gods. And the Bible tells us that they cried out to God and their God and God never answered. And then Elijah started getting sarcastic with him. Elijah said to all the people, hey, listen, what happened? Perhaps your gods are taking a break. Perhaps they're in the bathroom break. Where are your gods? And they begin to cry out and cry out and cry out, and nothing happened to them. The Bible says they cried out loud and they cut themselves as he was their custom with knives and lances until blood gushed out, out of them. When midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice from heaven. No one answered and no one paid attention. And verse 30, now Elijah takes over. He asked for all the people to come near him. He took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes, and he built his own altar. And he says, put water over it. And second time, put more water over it. The third time, put a moat around it and filled it with water. 
Why is he doing that? Because we know that when there's a fire, water will extinguish, or anything that's wet, it will not be flammable or combustible as fast as dry wood. So there he, he is exaggerating to present his case. And all of a sudden, as he cried out to God, he said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel. And I am your servant that I have done all these things at your words. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Verse 38 of chapter 18. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Verse 39. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, Jehovah, oh, the Lord, he is God. The Lord is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Cushan and executed them there. And from verse 41 to 46, the drought is about to end. The Bible says that Elijah said to Ahab, Go up and eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab, according to verse 44, he prepared his chariot and he took off. But verse 45 tells us something very supernatural. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Verse 46. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Human power. It's like, it's the six million dollar man. All of a sudden, God came upon him, and Elijah started taking off and beating him there. Elijah is now at the top of a hill. Victorious, warrior, a prophet, scary prophet, a rebuker of kings, He's powerful. He's anointed. But watch what happens in chapter 19. There's going to be a lapse of confidence. I go back to my earlier comments. Something happened to Elijah. Something that caused him to break down. And this is the kind of people that I'm telling you that even exist today. There are people that are not crazy. People that are, don't need psychological drugs. They just need their heart to be replaced. They need to have their conscience to be cleansed. They need to perch out and exterminate the past. You see, the past is a bully. The past, the past paralyzes you. Again, I don't want to kick a dead horse, but guilt and, and shame and fear and dread, anxiety, all those things comes against us. It's called life. Now, for me, people would say, oh, divorce is nothing. Wait a minute. I remember my parents were divorced. I have not forgotten 
Here I am. I'm a 35-year-old man now. I'm also a liar. <laughs> Here I am, almost 68, 69. I am forgotten. See, that sends my trajectory at the age of around eight years old. I already have a demerit in my life. I don't have a father. I never did. To this day, I still don't have a father. And then life, events, situations, depressions, rejections, life, growing up, unaccompanied by adult, not, not, not nurture appropriately, not guided on things of God. I'm on the streets dealing and wheeling street life. And eventually comes to a point where it comes into a hilt and it breaks. And we say, well, that's life. I can't handle this. So you start drinking a little bit. You start smoking a little weed to calm yourself and to alter the behavior. That's what drugs do. They alter your behavior. It takes you away from reality. It was fun. You smoke dope and you laugh a lot for no reason and then you get the munchies you eat and then you all over again. But life is doesn't, doesn't, doesn't exist just to laugh and eat, laugh and eat. That's not life. You realize something, something's wrong here. In verse 19, chapter 19, it says that Ahab told his wife Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. This is all she said to him. So let the gods do to me and more also. If I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. That's all she said. And when Elijah saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there in Judah, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. A day's journey would be like 20 miles if you walked a day's journey. So he walked into the wilderness, numb, scared, bound by the paralysis of anxiety. You see, someone said the degree of anxiety is much more a function of the individual than the degree of stress, and I agree so much. Haven't you ever been stressed out in your life at times? I think you have. I've had stressed out as a non-Christian, and that is horrible. And I've been stressed out as a Christian. I can tell you that being stressed out as a Christian, we have some additive, paramount, auxiliary help. That in spite of our anxiety, there's no perplexity. In spite of our unknown tomorrow, we worship and serve a God that knows tomorrow. 
My ways are not his ways, and I can't think like him, but God has my back. I don't know how he does it, but he does it. As a non-Christian, the stress level was horrific. I have to get high. I have to get medicated. I have to drink more because I, that's all I knew. But the stress was for real. So notice his response. So he's in the desert. He goes to the wilderness. He came and sat down at a broom tree. And notice that he prayed that he might die. And he said, that's it. It's enough. This chola is after me. Now, Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. Now, aren't you glad that God doesn't answer all your prayers? Lord, have mercy. Lord, I pray, take my life. And God said, no. Not yet. I want to take your life. God has no pleasure in taking people's lives. God came to give us life and life abundantly. It doesn't mean that we're inoculated against problems and anxieties and issues and drama, pain, illnesses, infirmity, auto accidents. doesn't mean that we're going through that. In fact, quite the opposite. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have tribulations. We must enter the kingdom of God through much tribulation. We call that theologically the process of sanctification. Wow, fancy word. You see, Paul gets down to the nitty-gritty. In Romans, he says, all of you are guilty. All of you. Guilty. The Jew, the Gentile, the moralist. You're guilty before God. There's no one, no one with righteousness. All of you are guilty before a holy God. It's called universal guilt. And then Paul introduces this word justification. What is justification? Oh, most beautiful two words, at least in my world. Not guilty, justified. I know I'm guilty, but God says not guilty. That's a one-time process. One-time process. One-time process. No, let me delete the last word. There is no process. That's a one-time act. There's no process. The moment you say, Jesus, I am a sinner. Forgive me of all my sin. I accept you into my heart as my Lord and Savior. You jump from this side, you go to the other side. Just like that. Translated from darkness into light. Translated from stupidity to the honor of the knowledge of God. Transferred from imbecility, living a morbid life without guidance, without radar, illumination from God. And we have been transferred from ignorance into the knowledge of God. Lord, have mercy. Just like that. Mental hygiene is part of the package. The Bible says he cleanses us and purges us our conscience through his blood. He gives us a new heart. He takes all the past and our sins. Not only does he 
purges it out and expunges it. But the Bible said that God will not remember your sin anymore. Sometimes we have three choices, I think. Solomon said in Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. One word. People can tell you 99 times, you're cool, you're all right, hey, you're all right, man, you're, man, you're number one. And all it takes is one jerk to say, yeah, you're an idiot. And your whole world collapses. This man wants to die. He says, it's enough now, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under the broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. Wow. Think about it. The first time he was fed by faith, there were birds by the Brooklyn River. Birds. The next time he was supernaturally fed was by a widow. Now is an angel of the Lord. I've been meeting with people live on Instagram for right now because Facebook, they did me wrong. <laughs> but we're going to the book of Psalms. And in Psalm 35 and Psalm 34, David speaks about the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord has many, many distinctiveness that he does. But one of them, he is the peace of God. He is Jehovah Shalom. I want you to understand that. More than ever, more than birds, more than a, a lovely widow, now we have an angel of the Lord trying to become, if I may, his therapist. Grabs him in the midst of his depression, in the midst of his sadness. You see, he had three choices, in my opinion. When we are confronted with stress and duress, we, some of us, experience a nervous mental breakdown. We snap, we say, ah, forget about it. I'm checked out. I'm done. I'm done with life. And you see many people in a dysfunctional state of existence. Then you have the other people. They say, no, it's possibility thinking. I'm going to refocus the negative with a positive, talk positively to myself. I'm going to make an effort, and I'm going to get the bull by the horns. Some people accomplish that, but that's a lot of work, a lot of stress. Or you can look to God and his promises. Psalm 33, 20 says, Our souls wait for the Lord. He is our help. He is our shield. Warren Worsby said, Look inside, get depressed. Look outside, get stressed. Look above and get blessed. Wow. Three choices. You can look inside, get depressed, look outside, get stressed, or look above and get blessed. Elijah's not looking at none of them. He's not even eating. And the angel said to him as he touched him and said, Arise and eat, verse 6 of chapter 19. 
Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him again and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and notice, and he went in the strength of the 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. So whatever energy drink he had, whatever energy bar he had, he ate this little, this little <laughs> bake, a little cake baked on coals and a jar of water. And he says, okay, go for it. 40 days, 40 nights walking. What kind of energy drink is that? My friends, it's not an energy drink. You see, we are told in the Gospel of John that in Samaria, they went out to go get food and they found Jesus speaking to a woman. And after the woman was gone, is the woman at the well, they, they brought him food, and, and Jesus told him, I already had my food. And the disciples were saying, who brought him food? And he goes, I have food that you have no idea what this food is all about. My friends, we're made of three parts. We're physical, mind, and spirit. Our minds and our bodies, we need rest. But what about our spirit? Sure, there has to be some soul food for that. No pun intended to the wonderful soul food. And I've had some, and I love it. But when I'm speaking about soul food, is strength, stamina, honor, a clean conscience, a healthy constitution, knowing that it's not about myself. There's more power beyond myself. God gave him the ability to prolong for 40 days. Now, isn't that funny? Let me close with this. We say, we're in quarantine. What is, what is quarantine means? It comes from the Latin word, actually Italian, quarenta. Quarenta means, say a lot, 40, quarenta. You see, the Venetians, they had it together. The Venetian, in, in the port of Venetia, any ship that came from a foreign country that perhaps were infected with some kind of viral infection, they will hold the ship away from the harbor, guess for how many days? Quarenta, quarantini. They were in quarantine. And so as they were in quarantine, they will realize, okay, are you guys all right afterwards? It was just a 40-day observation. If you do a study of 40 in the Bible, you see that it's a powerful number. You know, we're, we're in, in lockdown, not lockdown, I keep saying lockdown. We're in shelter in place now for 35 days. 
Some say 34, some say 33. It don't matter. You know that we're getting close to the 40th day that we've been shelter in place? What does that mean to you? I don't know what it means to me, but I like to entertain the thought that, Lord, are you putting everyone, all of us, on a 40-day fast? Not nutritional fast. A fast from all the things that we thought they were important to us. And now we realize that's not important. Now we realize family is important. My marriage is important. My relationship with my children and grandchildren and my grandparents, that's important. I just want to go back to work, they say. I want to earn a living and bring bread into my house. That's all I want. In 40 days, America has now looked inside herself. And they're saying there has to be more than politics. There has to be more than money. And then we realize that what's absent is nutritional soul food for the soul of the United States of America and throughout the whole world. I close. So he arose and went. Verse 9, and there he went into a cave and spent the night in a place. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts for the children of Israel. The children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars, and they killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Notice who he blames it on. All the prophets in the New Testament, even though they messed up, they look good in the New Testament. Only Elijah does not. In Romans chapter 11, Paul brings them up in the way here, showing off that he's in control and now he's out of control. He's been fighting all alone. He's in charge of all, and he's all alone and he's sick and tired of it. Verse 11, then God said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But guess what? But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, a California earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire... A still, small voice. It's not the sensational. It's not the spectacular. It's not the catastrophic. A fire, an earthquake, a wind. No. Shut your fat mouth. Sit your butt down. And listen. Listen. It's a small, small voice. A small voice that is still, is quiet. And it enters your ear. And it, and, it, and it travels to your mind. And then it travels to your heart. And it travels to your soul. That's how God speaks. So it was. When Elijah heard it, heard what? The still small voice. 
that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Notice he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They tore down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And notice his replacement. And Elijah, the son of Shaphat of Ebel Mohala, you shall anoint him as prophet in your place. And it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will finish him off. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elijah will finish him off. He closes with this in verse 18. Yet I have reserved 7,000 men in Israel, all whose knees have not bound to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed them. Wow, what a shot. Elijah, you're not the only one. I got 7,000 men who have not kissed or bowed down to Baal. Literally what he's saying, they're not loyal to Baal, they're loyal to me. You are number 7,000. I have 6,909 more, just like you. And so he has today. God has men and women throughout this world proclaiming the same message that we need to hear the still small voice of God. You see, I go back to the hospital when I befriend some of these people because I will interview them like two or three times. They knew that I was not a medical professional. They knew that I was just a homeboy. I was just a clerk. But this clerk had the hope and the answers that this, this tormented soul was looking for. I led so many people to the Lord. It was a short, brief prayer. Because I knew they were not mentally ill. They were suffering from an emotional trauma. They were taking too much drugs, too much PCP in those days, too much angel dust, and the angels had nothing to do with this. All they wanted to hear was the truth. You see, whenever you read God's Word, it may not make sense to you intellectually, but it goes directly to the heart. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says that the Word of God is living, powerful. It's like a double-edged sword able to prick and penetrate your bones, your tissue, your heart, blood vessels. It penetrates and goes directly into the seat of our will, and that is the heart. And once it, it gets into your heart, it says it exposes you and it challenges you that one day we must give an account to God of all our life. 
Don't get hopeless, my friends. Like David said in Psalm 18, I'm going through hell. The pangs of death surround me. The waves of hell are all over me. There in Psalm 18, he cries out. But then he says, but you are my strength. You are my rock. You are my fortress. You are my God. You are my shield. You are my stronghold. You are my high tower. You are my salvation. You are my deliverance from the power and effect of sin. Rescue me from ignorance. Deliver me from vice. Release me from bondage. Deliver me from hate, resentment, and bitterness. Deliver me from darkness and translate it to light. Do not go weary, my friend. Darkness only comes at night. Jerry and the pacemaker used to sing a song. Don't let the sun catch you crying. Tomorrow, the sun will shine. S-U-N, and I pray that the S-O-N will shine upon you. Jeff, come on up. You're here tonight, and you don't know the Lord. Listen, it may be just one out of 20,000. Why one? You. Yeah, yes, you. And you say to the computer, me? Yeah, you. <laughs> Would you like to be translated from darkness to light in less than 15 seconds? The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Wow. Call upon him. You don't know how? I'll say a little prayer. Repeat this after me. Dear Jesus, forgive me of all my sin. I'm sorry. I invite you as my Lord and my Savior to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Take away this anxiety, this angst, this pain, this loneliness, and become the governor of my life. Take full control of my faculties. Put my name in the book of life. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you. Jeff will pray, and God bless you guys. Thank you again. Have a good night. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Poncho Juarez. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Poncho's teaching ministry by visiting thearcmontebello.com.